0: Hey, first of all, let me say good morning to you all. How are you? Good. That's good. That's good. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Hey, it is a beautiful thing to hear uh, people conversing, but it's even more beautiful and it's a gift from God that we get to gather on a specific day of the week to worship our great King and Savior. And so I say that, um, one, just to remind myself because Um, If you're like anything like me, you can easily forget, but uh, let's never forget this great gift that God has given us to gather with the saints. Um, Because one day when he comes back again, because he's coming again, uh, we're just going to have one big Holy Ghost party when he when he comes. So um, he's given us a little glimpse of what eternity will be like um, until he comes. But uh, let me just introduce myself just again. Uh, Pastor Caleb uh, mentioned uh, my name is Miguel Warren, and um, I have the privilege and honor to serve on staff at uh, Park Church, Denver. So, maybe a mile from here, my wife and I, uh, my wife who's over here, Sierra, if you could raise your hand. So, thank you. My wife, there it is. Uh, we are from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, so, what an awesome time it is to be a chief and not a Bronco right now. Um, <laughs> I knew the spirit felt heavy, and I, I I could discern that there's some sadness today, you know but but there's always hope for tomorrow, no, but um, seriously, though. Um, no, uh, it is it is a joy and honor um, to be here. Um, came from Kansas City almost about nine months ago, um, and I came from a church called Redeemer Fellowship in Kansas City. I was part of a, a pastoral residency program um, there. And just a little bit prior to that, um, entering that residency that was full-time, um, I stepped away from the fire department where I was with for uh, Kansas City, Missouri Fire Department for five years. And so... Um, Just even prior to the residency, man, We love the church. We've always was serving in the church, high capacity volunteers. So it's by God's grace that He just afforded this opportunity to be able to uh, uh, step in and do this vocationally uh, full time. So uh, that's just a a little bit um, about myself. Oh, I I forgot to say, I serve on Park Church staff. I uh, oversee our gospel communities, also known as small groups, life groups, missional groups. You name it, whatever you want to call it, is living together throughout the week. Um, So which is basically small groups, and I have the privilege to serve um, in that capacity. So if you would, please, um, I'm going I'm to pray for us. And But before I pray, what I'll do is I want to read to us from our text today, which will come from Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, it will be verses 11 through 14. And so I'll read Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and then I'll pray for us. And as I pray, if you could please pray for me, and again, and I'll pray for us as we get ready to sit at the feet of Jesus to hear from him. So Titus chapter 2, if you would, take your your phone, your Bible, your app, whatever means that you have uh, to see God's word, Um, and I'll wait for just a few moments, and then I'll dive right in and, and start reading for us. Titus chapter two, verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce godliness, ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live, God, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. As I pray, just remember, we're not praying to err, we're not shooting things up, hoping that it to be grabbed, but we're praying to a God who is real, a God who desires to hear from his children and actually desires to speak to his children. So just take a moment to reorient your heart, to recognize that he is with us. He's present now. Lord, my, my father, God, we thank you for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for your love, your faithfulness, your compassion, your mercy, your justice. God, thank you for the way that you're faithful, even when we're faithless, God. And the reality is that many of us got a lot of things on our hearts. We're worrying about family that's getting ready to come in for the holidays or even we're getting ready to go see family. And anxieties are probably rising and we got to finish last minute shopping and just life is just hitting us from different angles. But God, I pray that we can do exactly what your word tells us, which is come and rest in you to lay our burdens on you. So God, I pray that as we uh, sit at the feet of your word, Father, that you would massage our hearts, Father. Open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to hear from you because you speak. So God, I stand here not as a strong man, but as a weak man, Father, needing your words, needing your power just as well, God. It is not my words that bring life, but it is you, your words, that brings life to dry places. Your word, Father, has the power to rebuke and to encourage and to exalt and even save the soul from eternal damnation. So God, I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all collectively together said, amen. Well, as we... Uh, Or in Advent um, here, I would like to read this quote from Fleming Rutledge in regards to Advent. It says, every year, Advent begins in the dark. Advent is designed to show the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. It requires courage to. Uh, it requires courage to take into heart of this darkness, especially when we are afraid we might see ourselves there. The authenticity, the authentically hope, uh, hopeful Christmas spirit, has not looked away from darkness, but straight into it. The true and victorious Christian spirit does not look away from death but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. See, Advent is a season that begins in the dark but it is by God's grace that we do not stay there, that that we do not end there because the truth of the matter is one day there will be no more pain, there will be no more crying, there will be no more hurt, there will be no more injustices, yet we will be able to experience when Jesus says he is making all things new. And so Advent invites us to feel our experience deeply and to have them refocus under the power and presence and the promises of God. And and so my purpose today um, here, the purpose of this message is for us to see that the incarnation of Jesus, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, has implications for our lives today, this very moment as we wait for our King Jesus to come back again. And when you think about waiting and longing, my mind can't help but to think of two types of people that, um, if I could narrow them down to categories, when it comes to this waiting, right? You have the person that waits by killing time, right? And then you have the other person that, that waits by just actually sitting there doing nothing, They would just literally wait until whatever it is that they're waiting for to take place. And if I can be honest here, the truth of the matter is that whether if you're waiting or if you're killing time, the whole purpose of that is just to to fill space, to fill that time frame until you get to the event that you're waiting for. Oftentimes, it has nothing to do with what you're waiting for. Oh, come on. You're Well, maybe I'll get some laundry done until the cable guy comes. You know, or if you're killing time, you, you sit here and you're at the DMV trying to get your license renewed. And you say, hey, let me just check some emails and do a little bit of work. And they can go on and on. But I submit to you today that if you are a believer... If you are a believer, that is not the case for our lives. No, um, actually, the way that we live here on earth actually has eternal implications. See, the reality is that we often try to disconnect what what's happening here on life and think that we can do whatever we want and then whatever happens in eternity will happen. And the truth of the matter is, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ, hey, God has called us to live in such a ways that does does affect eternity. And if you're not a believer, the reality is that if you live in such a way as you wait, guess what? You're still going to be affected by eternity. And so, again, our lives here today on earth as we long, as we wait, as we groan in, in anticipation for our second, for the second coming of King Jesus, we have to remember and remind ourselves that how we live today does matter and has eternal implications. If you don't believe me, 2 Timothy uh, 4, 6-8, um, through 8, Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. Interesting there. He says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. faith. Henceforth, there there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, right? On that day, not only me, but here's this, but also all who have loved his appearance. First John 3, 2 tells us, beloved, you are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, right? What has, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so again, my purpose of today's message is for us to see that the incarnation of Jesus, this Emmanuel, God with us, has implications for our lives today as we wait eagerly for the second coming of our King Jesus. If you would please turn your eyes to verse 11. He says in verse 11 here, Paul is giving instructions to Titus here and these Cretans on how they ought to to live in an ethical way and hold fast to God's word when it comes to this doctrine teaching um, as we wait for the Messiah to come. And he starts off here in verse 11 and says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people here. Notice this verse 11 here speaks of our justification because it talks about the salvation. He's bringing salvation for all people. But understand here when you see in the first verse, it says the grace of God appeared. Which lets us know that this grace is Jesus, the the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus here. And notice that it's categorized as grace is because you and I, this world, we did not deserve it. In all of our good ways and in the way that we love people and care for people, the reality of it is at the core of who we are, we don't deserve the love and grace of God. We deserve his wrath, but it is his grace because he loves us. This grace appeared as it talks about. And again, It's not about what you can give, but it's his rich love that he said that because I love you, because from eternity, because when it happened in the Garden of Eden, he didn't just leave us in ruins. He said, hey, the seed from this woman will crush the very head of this serpent. Because he loves us. And so the grace of God appeared here. And it's very important to understand when it talks about how this grace of God appeared, how Jesus Christ here appeared. Notice it did not evolve from history. The text is very clear. It appeared, meaning that Jesus in the beginning of time, before the foundations, before our great God spoke this cosmos in existence, before he painted this black canvas with the sun, the moon, the stars and the beautiful waters and the beautiful mountains. When we look west, Jesus was already there. And so he appeared. He invaded time. He didn't come from this time. He was beginning of time. Even 2 Timothy chapter 110 lets us know that and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. Galatians 4.4 tells us here, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, family, to redeem you, my brothers and sisters, myself and yourself, he Came. And so the text says he appeared, which is so powerful. And the idea here is that he appeared. And I believe what Paul is getting at is trying to give this illustration how this beautiful light has appeared in this dark world to push back darkness. To not leave us stranded here. Ephesians chapter 5, 8 tells us, for at one time you were darkness, but now, but now those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, you are light. Colossians 1, 13 tells us, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Understand the grace of God, Jesus Christ has appeared because we were all in dark, darkness. And yet because of his love that lavishly, because he loved us so lavishly he said, hey, guess what? I want to give myself. I want to come and I-, I want to be obedient to the father. And we'll talk about it later. Jesus, in all of his glory, God, in all of his glory, decide to come down as a baby boy to stuff all that glory in filthy flesh. To take the wrath of God on your behalf, in my behalf. And notice that Jesus Christ appeared, that it talks about, and it's to bringing salvation to all people. To all people. Not just rich people, not just poor people, not just black people, Hispanics, Asians, Latinos, white, but for all people. He's bringing, he came to bring the salvation for all people here, to deliver us from the bondage and the enslavement that entrapped us before we put our hope and trust in him. And so, again, as you wait for him, your life has implications for eternity. But understand here, it's very important for us to see that the text of verse 1 tells us how this grace appeared to bring salvation to all people. But how many of you all know that the salvific grace is not just limited to what Jesus has done on the cross? See, because if you just limit it to, um, excuse me, uh, what did I say? If you just limit it to the fact that he died on the cross for your sins, that's not the totality of what the gospel is. See, he came to redeem all things, the whole world. And the Bible tells us that we are being transformed day by day from glory to the next glory until he comes. Which lets us know that, yes, there is salvation here uh, from the, uh, that speaks of the justification perspective. But we'll see in verse 12 how it actually speaks to the sanctification process, the actual transformation by the grace that appeared for glory that is to come. And so Paul did not limit the operation of God's grace towards justification in, restricted, act, uh, in, in the restricted conversion experience. Rather, throughout the letters, throughout Paul's letters, he indicates that God's grace continues to operate in the sanctification process of the Christian's life. See, this grace is not dead. It is active and it is powerful. Just take an inventory of your life. The things that you used to do, you don't do anymore, not because of your strength, but because the strength that that lies inside of you. And if you're honest, there's still things that we struggle with, things that you want, that you desire to grab after. But it's the Holy Spirit that re-ho- that repulls you back because if left up to your own uh, device, you will please the desires of your flesh. I mean, think about this pow- this grace, how it's active and powerful. It sustains us in a time of need. Second Corinthians twelve nine tells us it provides strength. To us, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it produces thanksgiving and glory to God. It affects our conversations, Colossians 4, 6. It enables believers to live holy and godly lives, as 2 Corinthians 1, 12 speaks of. And so again, let's look at verse 12, and it will show that while we wait, we must train. While we wait, we must train. Where do we get that from? Well, let's look at verse 12. He says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Notice here now, this training is not a limited to duties. This training is not duties to perform. But actually what God is calling us as we wait for his second coming is to live a noble life. To live in such a way that is pleasing and acceptable in his sight. So that one day when we stand before him in glory... Good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So understand here, this training is not a burden. This is not a yoke that he is placing upon us. Because again, as I was saying through our prayer, God calls us to lay our burdens onto him, to come and find rest in him, not to, to, to put us down as we live here as ambassadors, as a sweet aroma and a representation of him. No, that's not what he's training us for. So don't think about this as a check, as a religion to do things, but actually a way of life that God calls us to live as we wait for his second coming. I remember that when I, one thing about, here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Here's the crazy thing. When I was once a fireman for, uh, for five years in Kansas City, and I had the privilege to be on the rescue division. And whether you're on the rescue division or not, you train a little bit more when you are on the rescue division. But here's the thing. Firemen, we train and we wait for a call. Some days we get calls and then some days we don't. And we do all this training for the possibility maybe we might get a call or we might get this type of scenario. And one would say, well, why would you even do that training anyway? Because the reality of it is, is that we train so that when that time comes, when that fire comes or when that search and rescue or water rescue comes, we are prepared to engage that event. But unlike being a fireman where you wait and you might get a call, understand this, people, we will experience a call one day. The call will either come where God calls you on to glory or if Jesus Christ comes back, whichever one happens first. But hear this, the call will come. And so as we wait for the call, as we wait for him, we ought to train because, again, we know it is coming. Not because I say so, but because his word says so. And notice here. Actually, I'll hold that point here. And so let's look here. So this grace appeared. Right. And so it says the grace of God appeared to bring salvation to all people. And then you can actually trace that grace of God and put it right in front of verse 12 and say the grace of God appeared training us. So Jesus Christ came. This grace comes to not to not only save us, but also help us in our sanctification process, training us to do what the text says to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And then he says, that's the negative. And on the flip side, it says to live uh, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What we have to understand here is that he gives us negative and a positive. And the reality of it is, is that our spirit, or excuse me, our flesh is in competition. It fights and it wrestles against the spirit. See, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present age, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places here. And so understand that the training here is teaching us to say no to this ungodliness, to this worldly passion, to the world system way of living, but yet it also trains us at the same time to live our lives in such a way that is pleasing and honoring and acceptable to our God. Because if you're anything like me, how many of you know that you can be having a great morning and, and, and you can be having a great time and you're devotional and you're spending time with Jesus and things is great, and then all of a sudden you go to work and somebody is already irritating you. And where I grew up, it's kind of say like, hey, you gonna make me, you gonna make me put down my religion real quick. Because <laughs> I gotta tell you a little bit what's on my mind. But just five minutes ago, you was praising and worshiping God and it was a, a beautiful thing. And all of a sudden now something's in you and it's competing. Or on the flip side, you could be living your life in such a way that is pleasing to God. And yet all of a sudden the struggles that you deal with, the triggers that come up in arousing you. Now all of a sudden the desires stir, and you want something that your flesh is desiring. See, you have to understand Galatians chapter 5, I believe it talks about it says that if you do not walk in the spirit, excuse me, if you do not walk in the flesh, you will not uh, uh, carry out the desires of the flesh, right? And notice here, that text, even in Galatians, doesn't say that you won't have desires. It says how you live, you won't carry them out. But if you live by the spirit or walk by the spirit, you will carry out the desires of the spirit here. And so we see in this text, how it is training us to say no to this God, ungodly ways, these worldly passions, but at the same time calling us to live in such a way, live in self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, of God, a life that is pleasing to God. But understand something here. The word training here is not allowing you to do it on your own strength. You see, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 tells us, be strong in the Lord and strengthen in his might. Anybody ever try to do something in your own might and it fail? See, life happens or something happens and we become the, 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 the chess master and we're trying to move life around because we're like, hey, this is not good. I actually don't like this. this is, I'm, we're trying to fix things in our own mind. Or if life is really good, what happens is that we, we, may, give him, uh, we may give Jesus some honorable mention credit. Right. We we say it is my ability and look what I have done. But the reality of it is, is that in this life, as we wait and as we long for King Jesus to come back, God is not leaving you alone. Emmanuel, God is. It is Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that is inside of us, that is that uh, that guarantee that draws out and brings to our remembrance the time where we was reading his word. Bring to our remembrance that time where that brother or that sister was ministering to you in those dark moments. And so it gives you it, it so that when those times happen, as you live about today, as you go about, you're not just going aimlessly, but you are dependent. Upon his spirit, you are dependent. Your lives is up under the authority of God, which is up authority of Jesus, which is up under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And there you live and you move and you operate. And that is the source where you draw your strength from. But I want you to understand something here. The text never says that this would never be a painless process doesn't say you won't experience hurts. It doesn't say that you may not experience uh, tireless nights. It doesn't say that you might, uh, you, everything is going to be all roses and gold. No, the text doesn't tell us that. But what the text does promise is that, hey, it's training us. That's what the text does promise. It is, it's training us in a beautiful and sweet way. Everybody loves working out these days, right? We love working out. we on our kick. We crossfit people. Everybody's good. We're in the gym. We want to eat healthy. But when it comes to losing weight or it comes to having a healthier lifestyle, sometimes there comes a point where you don't long, no longer need the trainer. A couple things. You don't need them because one, or her, you don't need the trainer because you've either gained this experience and you know now, like, okay, I know what to do. Or the second time, it becomes a little bit too pricey. And you're like, look here, I I love you. I appreciate you, but you gotta go. I can't can't do that here. But the idea is that we have a trainer for a season or for a moment. And then it leaves. For whatever reason, it goes away. And now you are left to draw upon and to look and say, hey, well, what was it that they were done? and, and, And what they do, and this is how we do it. And matter of fact, many of us, after we get working out and get our lifestyle, we become trainers now. It's like we graduate and now it says, I'm going to give my life away to healthy lifestyle living. And that is beautiful and all and well. But unlike the trainer that will leave and unlike the trainer that for whatever reason will no longer be there. This is not the type of trainer, Emmanuel, God with us. The text tells us that it is training us. That ing is an active verb. It is a participle, meaning it is a continuation it is that t- it, it is like when God says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. See, it doesn't leave you hanging for whatever reason. It doesn't go out of business because someone bought them out. Actually, no, he owns the world. He owns a thousand on a, cattle, a thousand on a uh, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. And so this training us is ongoing. But notice here in the text that it's not just training for a moment. It says it's training us in the present age. Meaning now. Meaning this, this, this training that God intends that comes about through the redemption, it infiltrates our current state of affairs. It penetrates your heart and my heart that gets so easily entangled in this life. And understand that when it talks about this present age, this is a presupposition that there is another age to come. There is a future age to come, meaning Jesus is coming again here. And you have to understand that while we wait here on earth, as we long and we wait for our Jesus to come, understand God wants us to live in the fullness of him and experience All of him on this side of eternity. Why do you think when he says the disciples pray, when they say, Lord, teach us how to pray, and Jesus says, You start our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God doesn't just want us to get saved and just sit here and wait aimlessly. But actually, God desires and wants us to experience a glimpse of eternity, a glimpse of heaven here on earth. And he gives us a small taste of what it will be like, because as we know, in Romans chapter eight, things are groaning and it's not what it is to be yet. But see, as we wait, as we long, God wants us and desires us to experience all that he has to offer, all of himself. He does not, he does not withhold, he's not saying, hey, I'll give you just a little taste and then we'll see what it looks like. No, he's saying, hey, as you're here on earth, as you're waiting for me, I'm training you, I'm with you. And just like anybody that works out, when the first day you work out, you're sore sore. It's, it, it doesn't feel good. You actually question if you should do this anyway. You walk different. You're f- walking funny. But as you continue to engage into the process, you get stronger and you're able to endure more. You still get a little bit sores. You still get nicks. You still get joints that get messed up because our body is not what it used to be. Our body is decaying. But the reality is that the more you train, the more that you engage, you get stronger and stronger. And it's the same way as we, weigh, as we as God trains us, as the Jesus is with us, this grace that's training us, we get stronger as believers. We will never get to the point to where we'll never sin. That will happen in eternity. That will happen when there's a new heaven and new earth. But we get stronger. We're able to say no to sin and able to engage in such a life that pleases God because of the power that is at work in us. And so if you would draw your eyes to verse, this training also happens While we wait, because in verse 13, it tells us here, it says that waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand this lets us know that our salvation is not complete. And we know it's not complete because our lives and what we see and what we experience is exemplify that. We, we go and we're like, man, we're living for the Lord and everything is great. And all of a sudden, man, I just fell into sin. Man, I'm not loving my wife well. I'm not loving my friends well. All of a sudden. And so as you live life, you live experiences let you know. You see the injustices that are taking place day in and day out. And you know that this is not the way that God intended it to be. But we know that we have hope because It's not the end. See, our waiting is for our waiting is for our blessed hope, meaning a hope not wishful, but a hope that we know that is coming, uh, that is coming. Because the text tells us that it is a blessed hope, a happy hope, because the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Understand that the text tells us that he came as a baby in a manger. But now he's going to come again as the king of kings in all of his glory. He's coming back again here. And what's interesting that as we wait, as we groan uh, Romans 8 tells us so best here. And he talked on Romans 8, uh, 8, excuse me, 18, verse 25. It says, for I consider the sufferings of the present age are not worthy, uh, are not worthy compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hmm. That's powerful there. What we know, what we're experiencing, the suffering that we have, will does not compare to the glory that is to come. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory. Of the child of God. He says in verse 22, For we are, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth unto now, and not only the creation, but get this: we ourselves, whether you know it or not, whether you express it or not, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Here it is, as we eagerly wait for the adoptions of the Son. And then he goes on to talk about how this hope is not a hope. It's not hope if you can see it. But yet he says for uh, for who hopes for what is what he sees. But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. With patience. And so we know that we see that as we're waiting here. We're eagerly groaning and saying, God, come, Lord. And as we wait, as we as we sit and we wait for the coming of Jesus, we can be like our sister Anna, uh, the prophetess in chapter two of Luke, where she kept going to the temple day in and day out. It says she never departed from the temple. Why did she never departed from the temple? Because she held on to God's promises. 84 years, the text says that she was a widow, but what kept her coming back, I believe, was the promises of God. It was his word, not her strength here. And so the text tells us, in verse 13, that this appearing of the glory of our Christ, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Verse 14, here it is, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous or who are eager for good works or good deeds here. We see again how when he comes here, when he came, he did not come, he did not come so that we can fulfill our own purpose or our own mission here on earth. But yet we subject ourselves to his will as we wait. Jesus models for us and he says that, hey, not my will be done, but your will be God, your will God. And he didn't want to go endure that cross but he did because God's will was more important than what he was feeling and so here it unpacks two things Paul states the purposes of Jesus his self-sacrifice the redemption and the purification right the redemption to redeem us from to redeem us to save us to ransom us to, to save us from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin but then the text also talks about how it purifies us here To live a holy life, to, to live holy in such a way, get this, not that it pleases him, but for his possessions here. See, he redeemed us and he purifies us so that it can bring us back to the fulfillment of our original state that it was intended to be from the beginning when Adam and Eve did not sin in the garden. Before they sinned. That's what he comes and he's bringing us back to that original state. That's why he did such a thing here. But understand the text talks about how it, we, are, we are to be a people that are characterized, get this, characterized by the eagerness, the zealots to do good works. See, you have to understand here, you don't do good works because you're going to gain favor. You don't do good works because um, 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 I can get extra jewels in, in, in heaven, right? No, we don't do that. See, what stirs us to be zealot for him, what's characterized the nature, uh, the character and the nature of God and his work in history, get this, on our behalf, strongly motivates us to please him. See, that passage where it talks about the first Corinthians chapter 6, 19, where we are not our own, we were bought with a price. Understand that we are stirred because when you think about the goodness of the Lord, And all that he has done in your life, even if you just thought about this past week, it stirs you And you think about the fact that you deserve to be on that cross. Not, Not him, but yet because he loved us, it stirs us to do it. Because you have this baby Jesus who came, who is God in flesh took the glory in all that he has and all that he has and said, you know what, I love these people so much so I'm gonna stuff my glory in flesh on their behalf. But not only did he do that, not only did he just stuff the flesh there as a baby, but he lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. He did what you and I could never do on our behalf and yet he didn't stop there. He marched on the way to the cross, to Golgotha there, and when they stretched him wide and uh, when they hung him high and stretched him wide, your sins and my sins, as Colossians says, that were nailed to the cross. You see, he took the wrath that we deserve and yet he gave us his righteousness. But the beautiful thing of all of that, people, is that not only did it stop there, he died and they buried him for three days but here's the beautiful thing of the gospel he rose up with power all in his hands and because he rolled power up in his hands death is defeated now and because of that the veil has been torn And so that when life and things are hard, we can now approach the throne of grace boldly, not because of you and I, what we've done, but because the grace, the righteousness of Christ, the blood of Christ drips all over us. And so we can make our petitions boldly and we can go in his presence and we can live a life with confidence to know that Emmanuel, he is with us. So as you... Wait eagerly for his coming. Hold fast to his word. He's training us while we wait. You want to spend time with him. You want to commune with him. And and it's not just a matter about having those moments where you can just sit down and read for hours. But while you're at the car, he's with us. While you're on the job, he's with us. While you're dealing with kids, if you're a stay-at-home parent that's working your nerves, he is with us. He's with us. To the person at work that treats you wrong, he's with us. As we see injustices, we know that he's with us. And as you move about the city of Denver, as you go to your neighborhoods, understand he is with you. Hold fast to that people to know that one day our King Jesus is coming back. So while we wait, let's train for him. And that's why, get this, and that's why we get to take communion. The purpose of communion is to remind us, because if you're like any, we forgetful people, we'll forget real quick what somebody done for us. But we won't forget what we've done for them. That's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) But we come to the table and we take a piece of the bread and we remember his body that was broken on our behalf because he loved us, not because we deserved it, but because he loved, his, his grace was rich, richly and lavishly gone upon us. And so we take a piece of the bread to remember the body that was broken and we dip it in the cup and the juice to remember his blood that was shed for us. And so that's why we take communion. That's why we feast on this meal as often as we can until he comes. That's why he gives that, because he's coming again. And it reminds us that when we take this communion, that he's training us, he's with us. And it empowers us to go and live and wait eagerly as we wait the coming of our King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. In all that you do, God, thank you that you you put a plan in place from the beginning of time, not to that uh, 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 it, it, it was you put a plan in place not to just leave us stranded, but to actually train us to wait as we wait eagerly for your second coming. So, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we serve a God that is not so far that he cannot be reached, that he cannot be felt or experienced. And thank you that you are with us, that you reside in us. Give us the power, Father. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us that is in the world. Help us hold fast to your word as we wait eagerly, as we are training for the second coming of your son, King Jesus. Knowing that if you do no more, you are still the most faithful and just God there is or ever will be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.